Welcome to the podcast. We do recover with Jared Miller, your host. And I'm Dr. Terry Sellers, your co-host. This is a podcast about recovery from addiction. We want to talk about what successful recovery can look like. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center, Rise Up Subs, and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. All Hallows Eve is approaching, everybody. Today is the 27th of October, 2023. We are approaching Halloween, baby. It is right around the corner. I love this time of year, man. I love the fall. I got my costume ready to go. Me and the wife, we're going to do a Halloween party this weekend. Invite coworkers, family, friends. Do a little pumpkin chili, a little witch's brew. Whew, I'm ready. Ready. Welcome to episode 134. Today, we are going to be diving into a phenomenal book that I actually today just had the opportunity of finishing up. It is written by our guest who's in studio with us today, Robert Cord Beatty. He goes by Cord. I Cord, do, yeah. How's for, your day going? For all my friends, I go by Cord, so you consider yourself in the inner circle. Yeah, I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate that. I'm doing great. How you doing? I'm doing I'm doing really well, really well. I'm excited for today's episode. Before we jump into to the book, Desperation of a Dying Man, let's uh, give a little acknowledgement to our sponsors. And this is, this is always so, like, I feel like it's scripted. So I'm going to, here's the thing. This podcast is and will always remain free to its listeners. The content of it will always be free. Well, how do we do that? It costs money to produce this thing, to get it out on the, on the airwaves. We do that by our sponsors. So please support our sponsors if you want to show us some support. Let me tell you about our first sponsor. It's Steps Recovery Centers. Steps Recovery Centers is an adult substance abuse facility. They have all levels of care. They have detox, multiple residential treatment centers, and outpatient services reaching from the top of Utah to the bottom. Steps Recovery Centers believes there is always hope, and recovery starts with you. If you or a loved one could benefit from some help, give them a call at 801-800-8142, or you can go directly to their website, kind of, you know, kick the tires, look around, get a feel, maybe talk to somebody in customer service at stepsrc.com. That's S-T-E-P-S-R-C dot C-O-M. Episode 134, part one, is also brought to us by Rise Up Supplements. Rise Up Supplements is a nootropic line. Nootropic meaning supplements for the brain. The noodle, the noggin, you know, the old think tank. uh, They got two powerful blends. The first one is Mindful Mood. Mindful Mood is the break. It helps decrease anxiety and enhance mood. The second nootropic blend is MindShift. MindShift helps increase focus and optimize brain function. Really good formulas for somebody who's getting back into some school or early in recovery. Nootropics really help the brain, the neurons in the brain fire faster. Go to their website, riseupsubs.com. That's R-I-S-E-U-P-S, U-P-S dot C-O-M. At checkout, punch in promo code PODCAST20 in all caps to save yourself 20% off your entire purchase today. And again... We want to thank our sponsors. This would not be possible without them. All right. So, Cord, what we kind of do in the mix here to get in is a little new and goods, a little warm-up. It's mostly for me. Get the nerves out. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I'm going to ask you a question, buddy. What's new and good in your world? What what plans do you have for Halloween? Uh, you know, work right up to ha- Halloween Eve. You know, just like everybody else, I got my... Got my candy all bought and <laughs> ready to go. We, we, I live on Sugar Leo, so I think out on Sugar Leo, we see more kids on that street than we do anywhere in the city. It's, at least it seems like, because I generally go through about a thousand pieces of <laughs> candy, <laughs> never have enough. But you got to stock up yeah. at the Costco, the yeah. old big Costco yeah. bags. I do. I look forward to it. Though I'm looking forward to Halloween. I love seeing the kids and and giving them some candy and saying hello. Yeah. Yeah, speaking of Costco bags of candy, uh, me and my wife, like when they very first started selling them for the holiday season, we bought one, and I thought I'm not going to open it. This just goes to show you, Court, how big of an addict I am, right? Uh-huh. I thought I'm not <laughs> going to open it. Involved. I'm going to put it at the top <laughs> of the closet. Uh-huh. I, I'm horrified to admit that today all the Twix out of that bag of candy is gone. <laughs> yeah, because well, I've eaten them all. <laughs> well, I got to. I'll, I'll confess, I bought five big giant bags, and every one of them are open. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone, <laughs> I've had my hand in every one of those bags. Oh, uh, Cord, you're on the right <laughs> podcast, buddy. You are yeah. on the right podcast. Give up one addiction for another. <laughs> yeah, gotta love it. That sugar. Mm-hmm. 
All right. Sean Denovan, what's new and good in your life? What are you doing for Halloween, buddy? Uh, we're going to do it tonight, I think. I think we're going to go to the uh, corn maze and the Staley Farm and the uh, Field of Screams and stuff. Nice. The so, Staley nice. Farm's still doing like the where you can shoot the zombies on the bus with the paintball gun thing? I don't know if they're still doing that. They did that a couple years ago. It's fun. You basically sit in a golf cart and they give you like so many uh, paintballs. Paintballs. Thank you. And, and they then drive they upcharge you for more paintballs. Yeah, exactly. That's where all the yeah. money's made. You have to like buy more and more rounds to shoot. The- and they got like zombies and people inside of an old bus with no windows, and you try shooting the. It's fun, anyways. But hey, a little, cool. little inside stuff. If you're in line for the uh, field of screams, mm-hmm. and you're listening to the announcer talk to you about all the things that you can and can't do inside the uh, field of screams uh, haunted house, that's me. That's your that voice. You? That's me. All the voices <laughs> yeah. are me. I'm like you know um, deep dark, and then like a troll sounding guy. So. If you're like wondering what I do on the weekends, I make weird noises. But yeah, that's me on the uh, field of screens. <laughs> that's awesome. I love it, Denman. Thanks, man. I shared my new and good. Uh, we're getting ready to do our, we, we do a Halloween party every year. I'm excited for that. All right. You feeling warmed up? You bet. Yeah. Calisthenics are over. Yeah. The stretching's Let's done. Go. We're Let's ready go. to play ball. Yeah. All right. So again, Cord, I appreciate you coming on here. First of all, before we even dive into the book and, and, you know, we're, we're going to get to that stuff. I just want to ask you as a man, like I work full time. I do this podcast. People know, you know, I'm one of the owners. Me and my wife own Rise Up Supplements. I, I feel like I'm a pretty busy guy. And then I look at somebody like you, Cord, who owns treatment centers, franchi- <laughs> franchises them out, runs your own. You've written books. You're an author, speaker. You do your own podcast. You do educational videos. Man, how do you how, how do you find the time for like life? You know, I think it's a it's a it's a commitment to recovery. You know, okay. A lot of guys when we get into recovery, a lot of guys live for and they you know they make heavy commitments and live for AA groups or NA groups, and and it's a daily routine for them, seven days a week. And for me, the my life in recovery kind of took over all of that, and so. You know, I'm working seven days a week. I don't. There is not a day of the year that I don't work, and unless I'm on a vacation, and even when I'm on a vacation, most of the time I'm working. You know, I've been in Belize and doing recovery in Belize. You know, and it's you know, amazing, man. In a Mayan AA meeting, you know. So it's so, it's kind of just part of like your identity. It's who you are. It becomes who you are. It really wait, does. Wait, I have and, to jump in here. Yeah. You said a Mayan <clears throat> AA meeting. Yeah. Yeah, so I, just, I uh, went to Belize, found an a, only AA meeting I could find near Palencia, Belize, uh, a couple, few years ago, and went to the AA meeting, and it happened to be in a Mayan village, and they they were speaking a different language, except you could hear everything. You could tell everything they were saying without understanding their language. <laughs> it was hilarious. And uh, ended up, t- you know, getting with this guy and, and talking to him about my programs and... and um, spreading the message of hope, you know, and, and you end up, you end up helping somebody everywhere you go, if you can, you know, and I think that's what it's about, you know, it's, it's my passion, it's, it's what I'm so passionate and compassionate about is, is helping those people that suffer, and it doesn't really matter what day of the week or what time it is for me. So this question probably comes really late in this episode where we're 10 minutes in, but it sounds like you're a person in, in recovery today. No doubt about it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no yeah. Doubt about it. So for the listeners, if you didn't know that, Cord is he's he is a person in long term recovery. And he actually wrote a really good book. He's written several books. The first book was first book I wrote was called A Guide to Spiritual Awakening. And uh it was a guidebook to spiritual awakening for dummies. We uh uh, uh Father Leo Booth and I wrote that book together and, and Leo's big in uh recovery books. He's written about ten different books and and uh, Father Leo and I wrote that book, and then we took it to Wiley Publishing, which publishes the Four Dummies series. And, and oh, cool. it was going to be a Four Dummies Guide to <laughs> Spiritual Awakening, <laughs> which ended up being a little bit of a comedic guide to Spiritual Awakening, and then we, we self-published it. Second book I wrote was um, a, a book called uh, How Free Do You Want to Be, which is a, is a walk through the 12-step program like uh, they did in the 19. 19- 30s and 40s it's it's really by this you know paint by numbers it's 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 bill wilson's old program mm. how he taught it uh it's also a, a product of the video series that i've done called 15 promises to freedom which is a series of 21 videos that walk through that book in in uh, in about 30 minute segments and uh, we and we use that 
in my own centers. I have um, multiple centers around the country that uh, that use my program as an educational tool in in uh, jails and Zion Healing Centers. Yeah, the website is yeah zionhealing.com. Yep, and uh, and we have a lot of other centers that are not uh, not us. You know that that have subscribed to my educational materials and and I make it free to any treatment center in America that wants to run those videos that video series because it's really well done. I came from a film and television background so it's produced in high def and broadcast quality and uh it's very entertaining. It's not talking heads, it's very educational, very interactive. It's got worksheets and everything that go with it. If somebody's listening to this and they're interested in getting a hold of that material, it sounds like a great resource, and that's what this podcast is all about, a message of hope and some resources and education. How do they, how do they get a hold of it? Well, they would just uh, send us a message through the website, uh, Zion, at info at zionhealing.com, and say, hey, Robert, I'm interested in, in, um, in your video series. Uh, we have our own television uh, channel called The Recovered Nation. Uh, it's, a Ro- it's on Roku. It's a Roku channel. Uh, on that channel, we have the entire <laughs> series. Uh, I have tons and tons of, of video uh, that I produced over the years on that site that uh, is recovery-driven. Uh, there's an entire series on fentanyl um, mm. that is very... Uh, their fentanyl stories are hard to listen to, but their are uh, families that have gone through... Uh, their do- it's a documentary series that's got of families that have gone through, you know, the hell of losing a child to fentanyl uh, right. overdose. right. Real world uh, stuff, real stuff yeah. that's happening out there, especially yeah. right now. I mean, but, people are dropping yeah. dead. Yeah, but you can you can uh, you can download the Recovered Nation uh, Roku channel, install it, and my whole series is on there for free. Yeah, nice. Yeah. That would be a quick and easy way to at least check it out. You bet. Right? Yeah. yeah. Well, most of your treatment centers nowadays have some type of TV that has Roku or some type of app that you can get yeah. a hold of it. Yeah. So today I really wanted to talk to you about your most recent book, Cord, Desperation of a Dying Man. That is a powerful topic. Sorry, that is a powerful title. What made you go with that title and what does that mean to you? I think the title always resonated with me as I went through teaching in my own centers, in my inpatient centers, my outpatient centers. It seemed like when I was around, whenever I was talking to somebody that the, the folks that really get uh, were the, the, what the, you know, this, this issue, this elusive issue called the bottom, right? Mm-hmm. I don't refer to it as the bottom. I refer to it as the unacceptable, acceptable new low. And as you run through that recovery journey, as you know as well as I do that each new low is met with an acceptance to it right. that's usually self-medicated and even to the place of my own personal story of homelessness and uh, in, my, in my rock bottom, you know, trying to find that, that elusive thing that we call a bottom. I don't really believe that the addict alcoholic, uh, someone suffering at that level, truly has a, an understanding of what that is. And it's very elusive. And I, I believe that that the folks that recover like us and finally find a true recovery from it develop a clear understanding to within their own, own within their innermost self of the desperation of the dying man and that this is a disease that is killing them not slowly but at that point very quickly mm-hmm. and that they have most likely lost their life at that point to the disease if they don't arrest it and put it into remission and I call that the desperation of the dying man when I'm teaching uh, young men and, and women about this about this disease. And so it was always resonated with me. I, I love it because as somebody in recovery myself, as soon as I read it, I'm like, oh, yeah, I get it. Yeah. I get it. I've been there. Yeah. I've, li- I've, I've lived that desperation yeah. of a dying man phase yeah. in my life. And it's funny because you talk about the, the stereotypical rock bottom. Everybody talks about, well, they just got to hit rock bottom. And I don't really believe that because you have some people that are high rock bottom people. Right, they call them. Yeah, that was me. <laughs> high bottoms, right? High bottom, like, yeah. Or low bottoms. Yeah. People that some people don't. <laughs> and like, I love how you phrase that. It's the acceptance piece, right? It's yeah. it's like their new acceptance that they've come to because maybe at first it starts affecting relationships and they just kind of accept that because they don't yeah. want to give up, yeah. you know, the their self medication, and then yeah. maybe they lose a job and they find some type of acceptance in in that. Yeah. new bottom. Yeah. And then it just can continue down all the way to the point where maybe they're laying in a, a hospital bed 
in kidney failure, in heart failure, yeah. and basically holding on to their last... Yeah, I may or may not have read this book, and it might be right out of it, right? <laughs> well, it is. My personal story is in the book. And, and, you know, as I looked at my own personal journey to recovery, I, I began a journey to recovery a long time ago. And a, obtaining a full recovery, like most folks at one point, you know, cruising along for about four and a half years, sober, recovered, uh, living the recovery dream, you know, I had the AA hat and the, and the rings, the CTR and the, you know, all of the shirt with the recovery sure. down my sleeve and, and doing everything and going to a meeting faithfully every day, mm-hmm. every day, uh, three o'clock meeting, working this program and working a program and, and believing that the answer to my freedom from, a, from the devastation of what addiction did to me was, was reliance on that daily meeting. You know, mm-hmm. daily meeting, uh, asking God to keep me sober one day at a time, reciting these, uh, you know, these nuances of recovery. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm four years in, four and a half years into this, this uh, recovery program of mine and living this recovery program. And I make a conscious decision at an AA conference in Las Vegas to have a drink of wine. And it almost killed me. Uh, that drink of wine spun me so far out of control and I stayed out uh, for a couple of years at mm. that point, angry, um, watching my life disintegrate to the to the to the abyss and and the destruction of alcoholism and my drug addiction, in defiance of the disease and defiance of of uh, higher power, defiance and defi- complete defiance of all of it, and watching this as as the book outlines, watching this road down the spiral of these unacceptable or I mean these acceptable new lows you know watch the watching the elusiveness of that and not knowing what was happening so I would you know they turn they turn the power off they you down that with drown mm-hmm. that out with alcohol or drugs and that's in like know, chapter one chapter yeah two. yeah you my wife leaves my child uh, takes my child from us and and does the right thing and gets as far away from me as humanly possible. And in, instead of embracing that and, and using that as my desperate uh, moment, uh, living in defiance and trying to manage that by, again, uh, self-medication, and, and then losing the home and being locked out of it with every worldly possession that I have except for the, the bottles of alcohol and a suitcase that I took out of there, and finding myself homeless in the, on the streets of Salt Lake City, all of these elusive, acceptable new lows, you know, sticking a needle in my arm for the first time, uh, sitting on a park bench. and But you never thought that you'd be doing that type of stuff. No, right. never in my wildest dream. Right. You know, I came from a very successful career in film and finance and film and television and never, ever believed for a minute that that could happen to me. And yet for two years it raged and raged and raged until I... Uh, I found myself in catastrophic health issues. And the catastrophic health issues came in, in the form of, for me, which, which happens, you know, uh, late in my life. I'm about 46 years old at this point. In the form of a, a catastrophic liver failure, yeah, which caused a heart failure and a kidney failure, esophagealitis from the, from the internal bleeding that I was going through. And, you know, waking up in a hospital where they're using paddles on me and, and, um, having a doctor come in and say, you're inches say away that this from death. Your, yeah. Your liver is completely, you know, get your, gone. get your affairs in, yeah. in order and, and uh, say goodbye to your yeah. kids. I bet that was a tough, it was, it was tough. You know, there's a, the desperation of the dying man. For those of you that are listening, that, that this resonates with, it seemed to me and it always has been, that that place that we need to get to is a place where maybe the fear of living becomes more fear than the fear of dying, right? Mm-hmm. What does my life look like for another day if I survive this? You know, then what am I going to do? Where does that leave me? Maybe I would rather be off of this planet. You know, those are the desperate places that we get to in addiction. Oh, you know, there's three parts to that downward spiral that I like to talk about, and that is the 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 conceding to it you know the conceding the defeat of it conceding to just your innermost self you as a person that you absolutely have no power to change anything that is happening to you 
that there is no more managing this beast at all. That fully conceding moment where you can actually accept the fate of that. And only in that place would you ever, ever be able to surrender. It can't happen the other way around. So the years that this I went is, this to... This is a lot of step one stuff. Yeah, the yeah, book, yeah, The book, The Desperation of a Dying Man, is heavy step one <laughs> heavy stuff. Heavy step one. The whole book is step one. It really is. Yeah. That's what I noticed. Yeah. And But to From your different point... different views. Yeah. Yeah. To your point, though, like... Yeah, getting to a place where you're where you have to come to the terms that I can't control this thing. I need help. No longer am I going to put it off until tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah, that full acceptance, I get it. Yeah. And it does take that. You really can't do the other 11 steps or live a life of recovery if you can't admit to yourself I'm powerless over my addiction and my life has become unmanageable. Right. Yeah. yeah. I'm powerless is uh, the word powerless has such a a uh, uh, a broader meaning than us attaching it to an addiction, right? Mm. In recovery, we attach the word powerless to addiction, to drug addiction or to alcoholism. But the, if you separate those two and leave the addiction out of it for right now, mm -hmm. and you just focus on the word powerless, well, then what does that really mean to us? And you can't control people, places, or things. Yeah. Do, do we really have the power? Well, you've got a Tony Robbins or one of those guys. Yeah, they'll tell you, you, you have the power to do anything, you know, mind over matter. Yeah. I've never, my mind has never been able to treat my mind. I don't know about you guys that are listening <laughs> to this, but I've never been, I've never pulled that one off. Yep, yep. And uh, I've tried, and I've tried, and I've tried, you know. And, and I, and myself, I've been through seven different treatment programs, mm. uh, failed at every level of treatment that there was and uh, available to me, you know, that's so, what it took me. So when you talk about powerlessness, you're meaning it, you also in the book talk about effortless action or action through inaction, going at the, the pace of life, going with yeah. the flow of life. Yeah. Is that what you're kind of meeting when, when you think of the word powerlessness or is this a separate thought? Well, it's, it comes after the, the, the admittance, acceptance, and surrender. Okay. So step one has this piece to it called admittance, acceptance, and surrender, mm -hmm. right? We get it wrong because we, we, uh, we get told by somebody. We go to, go to, a, we go to a therapy center like mine or, or, or yours or, or wherever we're at, and, and someone lays out this path that puts us in the right direction. That's why therapy centers are so great. You know, Steps has an amazing program, uh, because it, and it gets so many young men and women in the right direction, right? Moving in that right direction. What I think the, that when we look at the issue of a full recovery, everybody in that right direction has got to actually backtrack and look at step one first. Like, you can move way past that. You mm. can set up a relapse prevention plan and go to like, you know, we teach the same things. You know, you've got to have a relapse plan and you've got to have, you've got to have a plan for your future and future. Uh, personal recovery plan. Person, you've yeah. got to have this yep. personal recovery plan. Mm -hmm. And you do. You absolutely do. But when that time in your life comes, when you doubt the, the physical disease of addiction mm -hmm. and the doubt creeps in, you've got to backtrack and look at this step one issue. Because the doubt it, usually sounds like this. I've never struggled with alcohol. I was only here when I could probably have a beer. <laughs> I could have a beer. Or medical mm. marijuana is a thing. I could probably smoke uh, pot. And my little foopah in Las Vegas. I could control one glass of wine. Sure. How sure. bad could it hurt you? <laughs> right? It's that. It's the It's the uh, manipulator or the, the – I always – I like to make little characters, right? And it's like that self – oh, man. Yeah. It, it's like that – Schmeagle and Gollum, you yeah, know, yeah. you got Schmeagle and Gollum on your shoulder and, and the one's telling you the right thing and the other one's like, you know, <laughs> oh, no, no, you'll be okay, right? Yeah. The saboteur, yeah. I call it the saboteur. The saboteur can talk to you and get loud sometimes. No doubt about it. But going back to the question that you asked me, the Tao Te Ching, if you ever read it, if you haven't read the Tao Te Ching, mm. read it. The Tao Te Ching, uh, in studying that, I spent a year over in Nepal and during that year, I really studied this work of the Tao Te Ching. If you study that work, they talk about the, the truest happiness that we, can get, that we can gain in life being the easiest road, you know, the, the, where the water flows, going the way of the water. Mm -hmm. if, you look at the, if, if, you, if you look at, compare that to your recovery journey, which every addict alcoholic is on, they're on a journey to a full recovery. They don't know what that is or where they're going. 
but they're they're trying to get to that point, right? And so the Dowdy Chain talks about this 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 flow. Like if you get to the the admittance, acceptance, and surrender, and once you get past that, go with the flow of this. Go the easiest path. I love it. Yeah. We're gonna get back to that right after this sponsorship break from our sponsors. But I definitely dig in the flow, and I definitely want to get back <laughs> to that. We'll see you after this little break. You are listening to We Do Recover with Jared Miller and co-hosted by Dr. Terry Sellers. We'll be right back after this short break with more of We Do Recover with Jared Miller. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center, Rise Up Subs in the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. If you or your loved one is trapped in the cycle of addiction, there is a way out. At Steps Recovery Center in Utah, we believe in second chances and new beginnings. Our evidence-based treatments, compassionate staff, and supportive community guide you on the path to recovery. It is time to reclaim your life. Take the first step towards freedom, resilience, and a brighter tomorrow. Reach out to Steps Recovery Centers today. Recovery starts with you, and at Steps, there is always hope. Call us or visit our website to learn more. We welcome you back to We Do Recover with Jared Miller, co-hosted by Dr. Terry Sellers. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center, Rise Up Sups in the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. And now with part two of our podcast, Jared Miller and Dr. Terry Sellers. Welcome back, listeners. Hopefully you uh, enjoyed that little sponsorship mention uh, from Steps Recovery Centers. We also have another sponsor that helps our, our uh, podcast here and be able to make it free to our listeners our third sponsor is the Hilton Garden Inn. It is always sunny and bright at the Hilton Garden Inn. If you or your loved one is traveling through Southern Utah, give them a Google search. Type in Hilton Garden Inn in St. George, Utah. They have amazing amenities. The staff is always very professional. I love that the place is always so clean. Definitely give them a shot at your business. We appreciate them sponsoring this podcast. So before the break, Cord, you were getting into kind of the flow of life and the Dao Ching. Am yeah. I saying that right? Dao Di Ching. Dao Di Ching. Yeah. So in the Tao Te Ching, in the, in the teachings of the Tao, they talk about the way of the water, right? The, the flow of life, and, the, and, and water always finds the easiest route that it's going on. And, and I, I really, really embrace that because every, for the addict alcoholic like me, it seemed like every time I found recovery, my next biggest battle in life was staying sober. My next biggest battle was how to hit this thing on head on every day in this battle for my life yeah it feels like a fight like just this long daily fighting and fighting and and i hear so many people especially celebrities say i fight this every day yeah and i don't believe we should be fighting recovery yeah i I don't i don't feel like i fight these days yeah i think that finding a full recovery and putting the disease which is what it is into a full remission and then keeping that in a full remission through sharing a message of hope, helping others, their spiritual connection. Uh, some people go back to church. Uh, folks like me don't go back to church. We go to Nepal for a year. <laughs> we <laughs> hang out in a monastery and we study the Tao Te Ching. And we, and we get into prayer and meditation and we learn how to connect with our own personal God as, as we see it and as we understand it and what it means to us on a daily basis. And then we find this easy flow, right? It, there's an easy flow to it that doesn't require fighting. The um, the next part of this, I was going to say, the fighting that sounds like it comes from a place of denial or self protection or ego. Thank you. Yeah, ego. And I've actually got my pen in the chapter of your book that talks about ego because I was enjoying it so much. Let me find. Is it chapter five or six? Yeah, trying uh, to find it here. Uh, chapter five. Chapter seven. Or actually, chapter seven, the yeah. role. Of the, role of the ego in powerlessness. Yeah. The role of the ego in powerlessness. It's a great chapter because, as you know, how many times you're a, a, a therapist in a, in a treatment center, and how many times have you been talking with somebody and you're talking about recovery and you're talking about their experience with what they're going through with the steps or, or wherever they're working on, and you ta- or you're talking about the fourth step, and you hear from them, but, yes, but... Right? Oh, yeah, all the time. That works for him. It doesn't work for me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm different. I'm unique. I'm unique. I'm a unicorn. <clears throat> These are yeah. ego-driven statements oh, yeah. that keep us from a full recovery. Instead of admittance, acceptance, and surrender, I'm going to admit, I'm going to surrender and skip the accept part. Mm-hmm. 
because I need to manage that. My ego is going to allow, going to dictate that I've got to manage that missing piece, the middle piece, the most important piece. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love it, dude. And you're totally right, right? Like, I can't tell you how many times, especially, and I'm not trying to call anybody out, but let me share a little bit of my experience. I get this, honestly, all the time with my alcoholic clients because yeah. they'll, come to, they'll come to my office after a group session and they'll say this, Cord, I'm not like those people. Right. I'm not, I'm not like a that. heroin addict. I've never done yeah. meth. I don't do cocaine. I'm not just, like those losers. What are you I'm doing? I'm not like those people. <laughs> and yet we both know what's one of the fastest chemicals that can kill you. Yeah. Alcohol. Alcohol is the biggest one. It is the devastator. It is the one that will kill us in withdrawal. It is the most devastating drug known to mankind. And it gets hopped over by this brushed over uh, point of view, which is ego driven. Right. That and I that's can what I'm saying is, is it brings it back to that's their ego trying to tell them, stay away, stay away. Right. Yeah. We're unique. We're yeah. different. We and you're right. It goes back to that acceptance piece. Yeah, it's the, it's the middle piece. And it has to go in that, in my opinion, it has to go in that order. At least it did for me. I spent so many years, uh, you know, seven Started going to AA, went to treatment, got sober, you know, four years, have a FUPA, back in it, you know, almost kills me. Get sober again, then get another year, relapse again. Go through it again, go through the same scenario, back in the hospital, back mm -hmm. to that desperation of the dying man again. Over and over and over until I met a guy that knew the principles of what we're talking about better than I did. And I listened to him. And he took me into his house for 72 hours. I, I'll, I'll be forever grateful to this man. And he uh, had me in his home for 72 hours. Took me all the way through the steps, exactly like uh, my book, um, the How Free Do You Want to Be, verbatim. And, and he made more sense to me than anything that I had ever read. Hmm. But when he got to step one, this is the statement that he started out with. If you sit here with me, and you have a profound step one experience with me at your core, mm. you won't need anything else. Treatment is not an option for you at that point. If step one actually really happens for you, then treatment is no longer an option for you. You know what's crazy about that, Cord? Yeah. Is when I, when I get a client, I do three different assignments that are all based around guess what step. Step one. Step one. It's the most important groundwork work you can do. And I truly believe that if a client can walk away with self-disclosure or self-discovery, self-disclosure, admittance, acceptance, right, from those assignments, they really yeah. will never pick up and use again. Yeah. As, from a logical standpoint, from a spiritual standpoint, from a financial standpoint, it just strips the association of the MTV, MTV video, this is yeah. cool, this is fun, yeah. this is, and it really paints a realistic picture of the negative consequences in their life. No doubt about it. Right? And, and you know how many yeah. times I have to tell a client, no, 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 that example was terrible. You're war, you're war storing and you're glorifying. Tell me about where's the hurt? Yeah. Tell me about yeah. the powerlessness. Tell me about when you wanted to stop and you couldn't. No, tell, tell me about Tell me about when stuff. you controlled, tried to control it, right? Because yeah. those, if we can move that from a positive association, and this wannabe fairy tale we tell ourselves, it's going to make everything better, to a real logical negative association, hopefully they never return. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's, that was my recovery journey. It, uh, finally, it finally ended in a full remission from one individual taking me through the right and, and saying the right things to me. That step one experience, that admittance to my to me, you know, that, that this is my reality, mm. that I am an addict, I'm an alcoholic, I have a disease that is absolutely going to kill me. And actually accepting that for the first time in my life, never having accepted it before because of my ego. Yeah. It was so far in the way. And then surrendering to it surrendering to you know look at it this way uh he also had said something i had never heard when he said step two came to believe in a higher power mm -hmm. step three made a decision to turn my life and my will over to the care of a higher power mm -hmm. well if you can't get acceptance admittance acceptance and surrender then there's really no room for that right is there yeah there's no room 
you can't move on to I can believe in something greater because I still believe that I have the power right to handle this yeah. so there's let, no room so let me move you into let's go there then let's right in your book you had a spiritual awakening right oh, yeah. you're laying in the hospital bed for days you're thinking god take me i yeah. cannot do this anymore right and i'm kind of ad-libbing right obviously i'm not direct quoting but you get to a point where you're just like i, I can't live in this misery anymore i can't live in this right the slavery basically and then it sounds like it was after you said your first heartfelt prayer, real deep, right? Yeah. Authentic, trying to connect with the higher power. The next day you wake up to a bluebird. To a bluebird. Yeah. To a bluebird. <laughs> Talk to me about that. Yeah. You know, the, the doctor who had told me I had lost my life to my addiction, my alcoholism had taken my life. When he left the room and I, and I had just, uh, it was such a profound moment because I said, what do I do with this information? Mm -hmm. I can't call my kids. I can't. I'm not going to subject my children to what I've done to them, not in this way. And um, so, if I'm checking out of here, I don't want them to be here. And uh, it was it was a devastating, desperate moment when I said, "What do I do with this information?" And he said, "You pray," mm. and left me, left mm. the room, and just left me. And I was so angry. I was so angry. Uh, first at him, and then the anger toward, turned towards um, any form that I believe was higher power, mm -hmm. God, uh, any form of that that I had a belief in. Universe, cosmos, universe, whatever. Whatever. Yeah. And then towards myself. Mm. And when it turned towards myself, then I started, uh, you know, in the Marine Corps they told me there's no atheist in a foxhole. <laughs> now this is a very true statement, you know, having been there. But in that desperate time, in that desperation when you cry out, uh, please help me. Mm. In that place, you're actually, for me, it was actually more of the fear of living another moment in the pain that I was in. Because your reality was overwhelming. The physical pain was, was too great. Mm -hmm. The emotional pain was too great. Mm -hmm. The spiritual pain was, was something I wasn't even familiar with because I had ran so far away from it in my life that it wasn't even familiar to me. But the, the physical and emotional pain of that was way too much for me to handle. And so I was begging to be taken. You know, it was not, it was not uh, uh, please spare my life. It was I was begging to be taken. And I like to joke around with my students a lot about this, but it's actually a true statement. And I, and I say it, I, I begged God to take me from this earth. I said I can't live another minute here in the fear of this, of the fear of living another moment mm. like this. Please take me from this. I, I can't go back to the streets. I can't survive this any longer. Please yeah. take me out of this. And God respectfully declined. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> we got things to do. Yeah. So I roll out of bed and I'm on the floor and I. And Did you I, know in that moment that something was profoundly different when you woke up, or was it something that came later? Oh yeah, it was. I woke up and uh, and this is a true story. I woke up and this pain that I had from my liver and my esophagus, but the esophagealitis was mm -hmm. severe like more needed morphine type of severe. And the pain was not there. I was laying in bed again. Mm -hmm. The pain was not there. There was a bluebird on the window seal staring straight at me, like as far as from me to you, I'm, I'm this close to the window mm -hmm. in this hospital room. And he's just staring at me. And my, my brain went, wow, so this is what heaven's like. This is kind of cool. They got bluebirds in heaven. <laughs> and uh, and I actually, for a brief second, thought that I had passed. Yeah. Because you I had you were no on pain. the other side. Yeah. Got you. That I was out of my body and and I had gone. Yeah. And uh, and I was I was uh, um, quite happy about the idea of that for a second, but then realized that I was still here. Yeah. And uh, but but then I realized there was no more pain. So it was really a profound experience for me because the pain was gone and as the day went on i kept waiting for it to come back come back and it didn't come back it came in and offered me morphine i thought maybe it was an effect of the drug mm. i told him i don't want any of course you got to figure out the same if you could see a picture of me which i do have a couple of pictures of this i was a 130 pound guy very very yeah and i looked like i was about 90 years old yeah at, at this point that's the effects of heavy and alcohol so i was use. very very yeah. sick yeah. and uh and I, uh, I didn't have any pain. And I was, I, uh, as the day went on, had no medication, 
had a little food, watched his program uh, back in that day. It was just had come out called Swamp People <laughs> on the History Channel. <laughs> nice. Watching these folks and going, oh, my gosh, I've got more to live for than these guys. <laughs> <laughs> so let me ask you this. Oftentimes people come on, they, they, the most impactful moments is the acceptable bottom. Yeah, is the, that, well, the unacceptable the, new thank low. Thank you, the unacceptable yeah. new low. Yeah. Um, talk to me about what were the challenges for you in early recovery? Because I don't think oftentimes we pay that enough tribute. Like, I, for me, I know the hardest time in my life post my rock bottom or unacceptable new bottom was my first year, my first 18 yeah. months. Yeah. What was that like for you? What challenges did you have to overcome and how did you overcome them? Well, I had been in and out and in and out of treatment. You know, I, I knew a couple things. When I, I came back to southern Utah, my mother, my mother when she was alive, she was a re retired uh, uh, nurse, uh, retired uh, uh, NP, uh, nurse, practi nurse practitioner. And my mother uh, was a real great nursemaid. Mm -hmm. And I knew that she could help me in this recovery process. So for the next six months, I was nothing was on my mind other than the physical healing of, of trying to eat and trying to walk. Right. And, Getting and bio, things, biomedically getting, healed. Yeah, yeah, trying to get that, trying to get the strength underneath me. And then I, I became very, very aware that I was going to have to do one thing and one thing only. And that was that I was not going to do anything that I had already done, mm -hmm. which was chase another job, chase another uh, relationship, chase, you know, if I could just have this relationship, I'll be okay. Or if I could just go back to this job, I'll be all right. Or I've got to have some money. So if I just chase that then everything's going to be all right. And for the first time in my life, I think I, I became extremely aware that I was, what the first thing I needed was to focus on me, mm. uh, spiritually, uh, mentally, physically, emotionally. Yeah, invest a little money in yourself. Yeah, Time, for as money, long effort. as it took. Yeah. And I knew I was not going to accomplish that here. I didn't. I knew I was not going to do that. <laughs> so I, uh, here I, as in like Salt Lake City? Uh, well, Southern Utah. Oh, Southern Utah. And I had no money, no job, nowhere to go. And I, uh, I hit my folks up for enough money to buy a one-way ticket to Nepal. Backpack, one-way ticket to Nepal, I'm out of here. If, for as long as it takes. I always wanted to go there. I knew there were some spiritual things about it. That's and cool. I disappeared into the Himalayas with a cell phone and a backpack and, and, uh, and began a track. That's wild, man. That's pretty extreme, Corey. And I was away from everybody. I didn't return a phone call to anybody for the longest time. And I you say it was about a year? Yeah. Yeah, well, not quite a year, but in and out. And then I made another trip back over there. And and uh, we did a lot of climbing over the years. And I got into that, met some really cool people over there. And How, how did you support yourself in Nepal? Yeah, you'd be uh, mildly surprised at how fast you can get a job in those villages in Nepal, working in a tea house and helping somebody put a roof on there, uh, fix a roof okay. for $5 a day. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and uh, you'd be mildly surprised at how, how much work there is there that you could actually get. That's cool, though. Yeah, so if you you're just willing to do it. relied on your hustler skills. Yeah. yeah. Need some work, need some help. Uh, if you got anything and just asking people, oh yeah, this guy, you need some help over here and he'll that's pay cool. you a little bit of money and a little bit of money in Nepal goes a long ways. Which that's know. a principle of recovery, being humble, yeah, resourceful, right? Yeah. And then I, I think my dad, I got up to uh, Namche Bazaar. Namche Bazaar is a village in the Himalayas. My dad sent me, they have a bank there in at about 13 and a half thousand feet in that village. And they got a, a bank there that's open, I think two days a week. And mm -hmm. dad had sent me some money. Uh, yeah, yeah. through a wire transfer to this bank and it was like two or three hundred dollars lasted me a whole year <laughs> in nepal <laughs> yeah. yeah man that's, that's kind of cool yeah so yeah. You, you end up doing the year there like at what point so you end up coming back what come, does that look like come back i had reconnected with my children uh, uh started really uh through prayer and meditation really focusing on me developed another goal and that goal was to go back to school uh, uh, pursued a master's at Purdue University, uh, wanted to become a, I uh, had an undergraduate in divinity and, and had made a decision I was either going to be a, I was going to be a preacher or I was going to be a therapist. One of the two was happening for me. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I think both of them start to transpire as you look at the entrepreneurial side of me going, no, 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 you, you can't do this. You've got to, you got to, you got to, 
you know, your entrepreneurial spirit's still there. And right. why don't we start a treatment center? And I started, you know, looking at that and yeah. opened up our first treatment center with no license. We had no state license. Uh, Park started, City, right? Yeah. Just started treating. We <laughs> brought women into this house. It was a women's only program. I had a substance abuse counselor. And uh, she did a great job, and we had no license to do what we were doing, and we were running a treatment center <laughs> and charging money. And uh, and then uh, how long did that last? It didn't last very long before the state. I'm sure was, the Department of Health and Human Services had something to say about that. <laughs> they were all over it. Yeah, uh, it was a really interesting time because they were gracious, and they said we need to teach you what you need to do oh, because cool. you can't do this. And uh, that's how I learned the business was I was By the making all the mistakes right up front. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody put a badge in my face and say, we're, we're either shutting you down or putting you in jail or getting you licensed. One of the three is happening. <laughs> I love it, man. That's a great story. Yeah. That's a great story. Okay, so so that morphed into a couple different things, right? So you're you're finally get licensed. Did you stay in Park City? Obviously not. I know you've, you know, we, you've done a couple of these treatment yeah, centers. We sold that business and uh, we started another treatment center in Rockville, Utah and uh, called the Retreat at Zion. And we uh, ran that business for a lot of years. Inpatient program, 20-bed facility. Uh, it was difficult because we were it's so beautiful remote. up there. Again, that's yeah, by Zion National it was, Park. It's a gorgeous area. It was really nice, but it was really difficult because we were not in the population. And and we developed our outpatient services, and uh, I finally sold that and, and focused my energy on the outpatient work. Added in uh, transcranial magnetic stimulation, uh, and we found our home. Once we had TMS and neural feedback, we knew that we we could service a niche where we weren't really we were we were really companions to other treatment centers and could work in and out of you of might the, be a genius man. Of, the, of the treatment industry you right? might be a genius yeah right and because so, you do have that niche i mean i know we work together i refer clients yeah, to get the yeah, neurofeedback yeah. and the tms and that's something that i believe right if we all have yeah. the same focus to help human beings we yeah. don't there doesn't need to be competition yeah. it's like you guys do a really good job with that i'm more than happy to refer people the clients get the care that they need yeah, so, I say, and the same thing with steps. I refer all of my uh, inpatient uh, referrals. Every call goes over to steps because I know that they're those guys are. You know, you guys are reliable. You do a great job. Uh, people are getting a good referral, and uh, and I, I know that because of the work, working relationship that we can do that. We can do that back and forth. There's no competition. We just need to help each other. Yeah, yeah, and we appreciate yeah. that, man. It's it's all about the that spirit of recovery, right? That community. Well, yeah. But talk to me a little bit about the TMS, though, and the neurofeedback, because some people that just, for like me the first time I heard that, it completely flew over my head. So talk to me, what is it that those medical procedures do? Well, our focus is on uh, more on depression and anxiety and, and those issues than it is on substance abuse. Of course, this, you know, there is the co-occurring issue of substance, substance abuse that usually comes along with it. And uh, and my program is there for that, and we and we do a, a, a group class every day. But but our real focus is on transcranial magnetic stimulation for the underlying issue of depression and anxiety. Mm, you know, those root, driving forces. that root. Yeah, let's go right after that, and and we bill insurance for that. We stay on that side of it. We you know we all of our offices. We have about twenty offices nationwide now, uh, sixty in development right behind it. Um, but we, everything that we do is really focused on the depression and anxiety aspect of it. And, and we stay there where we can, you know, it becomes a niche to us, something that we can really focus on. And for the listener that doesn't know what that is, those are made, those are medical procedures. Those, Correct. I mean, we're talking expensive medical equipment. We're talking yeah. professional MDs or PAs or psych nurses, right? That, yeah. that, yeah, these are hundred you know, to $150,000 of equipment that, you know, for one you know, one piece of equipment, and and insurance does reimburse it. Um, all insurance will reimburse it. Uh, they have rules to it. You have to have uh, certain rules about medications. Uh, you know, if you're but if you're a listener and you're failing on medication, if the medication is failing you, failing you, which which you know, there are some reports out there that show you know the effect of of medications do you know dwindle. Mm-hmm. Uh, increase in, in um, strength, and then they dwindle in their effectiveness. But if you're getting to a place where it's an absolute failure to you, then uh, TMS is an amazing solution. It is. I can't say enough about it. It is an amazing solution for depression. Yeah. 
the thing that I love is the only problem with that is, is if you actually fix people, then there's no more there's no more clients for these hospitals and doctors that are keeping the pharmaceutical companies in business, Cord. Yeah. That's the problem, right? Oh, man, let me tell you. there's We can't scratch the surface. You know, when you look at 19.5 million people per year suffering from addiction, and there's only about 1,500 TMS centers nationwide. Come well, on. and for the listeners that don't know me well enough, I'm not a huge fan. I mean, I do a, a podcast with a guy that's an MD, right? But he'll, he'll be the first to tell you, try some natural solutions, right? Not everything yeah. is a medication. And so hmm. I'm being a little facetious here, but seriously, I appreciate you coming on this podcast. I appreciate you being willing to share your book, Desperation of a Dying Man. If you don't have a copy, how do they get a copy? Get a copy on Amazon, uh, Barnes and Noble. They keep them on the shelf. You can get them from uh, our... Is it on Audible or any type of audio book? Uh, not yet. No, we are recording. I know audio. a guy, Sean yeah. Denovan, he can help you with that. Ooh, he does. Uh, you do audio. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah, we are going to do that. And then, uh, yeah, for all the work that you're doing over there at Zion's Healing Centers, like, just thank you. Appreciate it. You know, I, I think that uh, you guys are doing some really cool stuff over there, and I'm just glad to be able to know yeah. you and be a part of it, yeah. man. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, we got about 30 thank seconds you. here. Any other last thoughts you want to leave our listeners with? Now, uh, just listen, guys, if you're suffering from out there, there's some solutions. You do not have to suffer the way that you're doing. That is that is not acceptable. You know, find that place in your heart and your mind where you can say, I need some help, and then get it. Doesn't matter who you're getting it for, but reach out. Hey, man, this has been a gift. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate you. All right, we'll see you guys next Friday. That's going to be the first week in November. Have a safe and sober Halloween. Thank you for joining us today on We Do Recover with Jared Miller. Help us spread our message of hope. Like, comment, and share. If you have any topics or ideas for future shows, please share that on our Facebook page. That Facebook page is We Do Recover with Jared Miller. If you or a loved one needs help, please reach out to us. Again, thank you for listening. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center, Rise Up Subs, and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast do not reflect those of its sponsors. This has been a production from a podcast studio.